I've got to wonder what Alice Pike was thinking before she got arrested. I actually suspect she wasn't thinking much at all. Because if she had been thinking, she would have realized that the course of action she had chosen was certainly not going to end up well. Oh, you don't remember Alice Pike. Alice Pike is the woman who went into Walmart down in the U.S. some time ago now and uh, bought about $1,675 worth of goods, came to the checkout and presented the cashier with a $1 million bill. Now, folks, you all know Is there anyone here who does not know that there's no such thing as a $1 million bill? Never has been, probably, well, with inflation, who knows? But there never has been anything close to that. The largest bill they've ever printed in the U.S. was 100,000, and that was only for banks to make uh, bank transfers of money, and they don't make them anymore. So there she was, a million-dollar bill, and she expected change. (laughs) Now, my math isn't all that great, but it it comes out, I think, to somewhere around $998,325. Aisle five, we need more 20s. Aisle five, could you bring all your money over here? Doesn't make sense, does it? Anybody knows you're going to get nailed. Anybody should know this isn't going to go well if you're thinking. But you know, I think sometimes... Alice might help us to remember the irrationality of sin. We, it doesn't make sense. We lie and expect good results. We overindulge in food or alcohol or entertainment and we expect to feel better. We take what isn't ours and expect satisfaction. We refuse to resist temptation and we expect peace. We act selfishly, and we expect to have strong relationships. It just doesn't make sense. We, re- re- we ignore repentance and expect forgiveness. We, we hand over a fake and expect valid change back. Will you stand with me if you're able? in honor of God's word, and I'm going to turn to James chapter 1. You may have suspected that already if you've been here before. And in James chapter 1 and verse 12, I read, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. 
Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. You may be seated. Bob Hope was convulsing the audience with his typical humor. Some of you are too young this morning to even remember Bob Hope, but he was a comedian. And uh, <clears throat> so he, he told the story of, he said, on the way here, I was, uh, I w our, our airplane had trouble and I thought we were gonna crash. And he said, all the sins of my life ran through my eyes, or in my mind. And, and so the, the straight man says to him, so uh, how was it? Was it scary? He said, oh, I asked for three reruns. <laughs> oh yeah, that's hilarious. Now I don't, it's not rebuking you for laughing there, but he uh, didn't understand anything about sin. He didn't understand anything about its consequences. The Bible never makes light of sin. But it's characteristic of the world's view of sin. But we must understand, James tells us, that sin is not a peccadillo, it's a perversion. Sin is not funny, it's fearful. Sin is not trivial, but it's treacherous. Sin is not winsome, but it's wicked. Sin is not festive, it's a failure. Sin is not a defect, it's death. It leads to death, always. All sin always leads to death. And when uh, I say that, you're gonna stop and say, well, wait a minute. <clears throat> My, my sins are, are forgiven. I'm, I, well, you're still going to die physically one day. And all of my sin and all of your sin has already led to death. It led to the death of Jesus Christ. So that our sin might be forgiven. But James reminds us of the importance of taking that death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ and holding steadfast under trial so that our lives might honor the death and the price that Jesus paid for you and me. Our lives need to represent him. They need to honor what he has done for us. They need to change us. And so James is going to talk about a, a, a pivotal thing here. Verse 12 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. You see, temptation and testing are very often the same thing. The same incident and experience in your life may come from two different purposes. When you come into difficulty and temptation in your life, Satan has the purpose of destroying you. 
He has always had the purpose of destroying you. And why does he want to destroy you? Because God loves you. And he wants to hurt God. He wants to hurt God in any and every possible way that he can. And so when it says that Satan wants to hurt you, the reason for that, the reason he led our first forefathers and our first foremother away, away from God was he wanted to damage God. He wanted to bring hurt into the heart of God, and he knew that God loved his creation. What better way? If somebody wanted to hurt you really badly, he, he wouldn't kill you because then you'd be dead and you wouldn't know about it anymore. But if he could hurt your family, if he could hurt your kids, some of you know about this, then he would bring heartache to you. And so if Satan can damage God's people, then it will hurt God because God loves us. And so when things come into our lives, God is bringing us a test to develop us, and Satan is bringing us a temptation to destroy us. And if we reject God's purpose, we talked last week about the purpose of difficulties and struggles and trials being to perfect us into the image of Christ, to make us more and more like Jesus. And if Satan can stop that, that's his purpose in life. Patience brings us maturity. But if we're open to Satan, it's, he stifles our lives. And there's all kinds of biblical illustrations of, of people who were like Alice, actually. <laughs> they did the kind of things that just, that seemed to make sense to them. Do you remember Abraham? Abraham went down to Egypt because he was hungry, and there was a famine there. And he said to his wife, you are gorgeous. Now it's a problem. Because Pharaoh's going to see you, and he's going to say, woo, woo, woo. <laughs> I want her, and he's going to kill me. So tell him you're my sister, and things will be better. Now, she was his half-sister, but uh, it wasn't quite the true thing, was it? And, and it got, almost got Pharaoh into big trouble, and it did get Abraham into big trouble. And the, you know, the strange thing, the thing that I don't get, his son did the same thing. Our children sometimes do the dumbest things, and the reason they do them is because they saw us doing them too. Israel went through the wilderness. Every time something came up that seemed like a difficulty in their lives, they said, why didn't you leave us in Egypt where we could eat? leeks and garlic. I hope they weren't eating those things straight, but that seemed to be to them now a really good thing. They forgot about the slavery. They forgot about the suffering. And how many times do you and I forget about the suffering that sin has brought us? Selfishness. And we forget about the damaged relationships and all of the different kinds of things that goes on in our lives that go on in our lives, and we, and we forget, and we do it again, and we do it again. 
There's a couple of key words in here. You know, we're, we're not God's sheltered people. We're God's scattered people. That's who James was talking about. It says to, to the people who are scattered. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, well, let's go to verse 12. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Now, James has just said, stand fast, be steadfast. That's what God wants from you. But when I am convinced that I'm really pretty good at doing that, that's when I'm going to be in trouble. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but will with the temptation also provide the way to escape that you may be able to endure it. There, there may be some enduring going on here. <laughs> there, there may be some patience required. There may be some struggle. But there is, God says, a reward at the end that makes it all worthwhile. He says, there is a crown of life that God wants to give you. God wants to give all of us someday a great crown of life. Now, why would I want a crown of life? Do you know why? Well, if you read the book of Revelation, he says saints are going to take their crowns and throw them at Jesus' feet. I want to have something to present at Jesus' feet. To say thank you for all that you went through for me. And you need something to present at Jesus' feet for all that he has done for you. And the Bible says... God's going to give us a crown, a glorious crown for eternity, which we can take and cast at Jesus' feet and say, here, this is yours, because you made it possible, because you loved me so much that you took my sins on your back on the cross of Calvary and gave me eternal life. Whatever else may be true, this is incontrovertible. Temptation is a problem for all of us. Now, there is a teaching out there somewhere. I hope it hasn't influenced you yet. But there is a teaching out there that you can become perfect in this life. When I was preaching in Pembroke years and years ago, decades ago, uh, one of the churches there taught this doctrine, and one woman said she was convinced her husband had gotten there. And I'm like, you don't know him. Do you know him? Uh, that's not perfection yet. And I don't profess perfection, and you might as well not either, because we're not there yet. But every day there is required of us a steadfastness that comes to temptation and hangs on and does not give in to what the devil wants in our lives. There are three facts that James mentions here that we need to take account of. The first is God's judgment. The second is God's goodness. And the third is God's nature within us. Now, 
I don't have time for all three of those, so you've got to come back next Sunday. That was a nervous laugh, like maybe he'll try and get the whole thing in this morning. So, you see, he tells us that God's judgment is sure and certain. It's absolute. It's going to happen. When desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when it is fully grown, sin brings death. And so I look ahead and I see where sin ends. Now, very often I don't, but I should. I need to look ahead and see where sin ends. I know where it begins, but where does it end? It ends in death. It ends in destruction. It ends in sadness and sorrow. We think of sin as an act. God presents it James, through James here as a process. And he describes this process in four steps. He says it starts with desire. Now, desire can be good or can be bad. We have all kinds of desires. I desire to get up and have breakfast in the morning. That's a good thing. I don't feel like it, but I desire it. And I... I I have all kinds of things that I want, but the wanting can lead to sin. You know, a lot of people say, what do we, you know what they say when, when they did something wrong. They say, the devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. Folks, the devil's busy. He doesn't need to bother me. Now, he reserves his busyness, I think, for people who are really struggling well to be holy. And you think, oh, this guy's getting too close to the Lord. I'm going to hammer him. But people like me, he, he says, I don't have to worry about him. He's, his desires are going to lead him right into where I want him to be. You ever, you ever feel like that? James says it's our desires. You can't blame it on the devil. I've got to accept the responsibility myself. My sin came out of my heart. And what happens in my life always comes out of my heart. And so if I am filled with rage and I say something that I really shouldn't have said, I stop and think, oh, oh no, I'm sorry, that wasn't me. Yeah, it was. It was exactly me. Who else was there? James says, your desires lead you down the wrong path. Desires are God-given. Hunger, thirst, all kinds of things. We need fulfillment in order to live. But we seek gratification for our desires very often, not in the place that God has for us, but in the wrong place. God's way always ends up well. God's way always ends up for our good. Always. Every good and perfect gift comes from where? That's, yes, from God. That's what he tells us here. 
But desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And if we could just look into Scripture and remember how things went when people sinned. You know, the amazing thing is people like Abraham and and all of these other men, they're held up as great men of faith, but God does not hesitate to share with us the fact that they hadn't gotten there yet and that they were still sinful people. So when you look into the Bible, you don't see people who lived a temptation-free life or you people who always had victory over temptation. You see real people. You see how they lived. I am glad that God hasn't taken my life and put it in the Bible for all to read. Oh, how would you like that? How would you like it? If everybody here this morning could see up on the screen your entire life, all your thoughts, all the things you've ever done, that would be pretty scary, I think. And so David, David, if, he'd saw, if he had seen the death of a baby, if he had seen the necessity, it seemed to him, to kill Bathsheba's husband, if he, if he had seen how things were going to go, he never would have done it, would he? If Abraham could have seen the results of his sin in the life of his son, and time and time again all throughout Scripture, if they had seen the end, they wouldn't have gone down that path. And if you and I could understand the ultimate place our sin will lead us, we would want to flee and go the other direction. Lot would never have moved near Sodom and Gomorrah. He saw the well-watered plain of the area around Jericho. He saw the well-watered plain of the Jordan River. I've stood Uh, near Jericho and look down and you look one direction and there's nothing but desert and you turn and you look down in the other way and it's beautiful and green and filled with fruit trees and that's what he wanted but he ended up in tragedy with the death of his wife with the sin of his daughters It led to a terrible place. Now, of course, your sin and mine aren't nearly as bad as his. But you see, God says that sin is sin. And all sin leads to the same place. Adam and Eve started it all. Now, I I need to... Have you ever asked yourself this? Have you ever struggled a little bit with questions in your mind like, God, you know, (laughs) it was just a piece of fruit. How could that lead to all the disaster that sin has led the world into ever since? One little misdemeanor, we would say. One tiny thing. But wait. It's the only thing God ever asked them not to do. 
the one thing God asked them not to do. And so it is important for that reason. Everything in the garden was good. Everything in their lives was good. Everything they had was a gift from God. All of it. And it was going to lead them to joy and peace and blessing and wonder. And suddenly they chose to go a different direction. It doesn't make sense, does it? But they did it. You see, Satan told them a lie. He said, die. God said you would die. You won't die. In fact, the opposite, you will become smarter because you'll know the difference between good and evil. And he told the truth on that last sentence. They did become knowledgeable about the difference between good and evil. Good was what they had been. Evil was what they now were. And all that God had told them came into their lives. But what, what, what do we do when we come to temptation? Well, what did Jesus do? When Jesus fa faced temptation, he quoted scripture to Satan. And you and I can find strength against temptation by building scripture into our lives. So I, I, Jesus was there in the desert and he had his ESV with him, his, his Hebrew ESV, his HSV's Hebrew Standard Bible. And so he, he's thumbing through like, okay, where? Oh, I remember. No, that's not what happened, was it? Jesus understood that he needed Scripture. You and I need to understand that we need Scripture. Is there any Scripture to which you could turn in your mind without the Bible in front of you that would help you with temptation? Learning God's Word is so important. So sin starts with desire and then deception comes along. And then when we've been deceived, when Eve was deceived, what was the next step? Then she took of the fruit. When desire brings us to a point, then deception leads us to take that desire and feed it in the wrong way. And that deception leads us to disobedience. And Christian living focuses on our wills, not our emotions. I've seen lots of tears that did not lead to repentance. Our minds must understand it's not just how you feel about something that's important. It's the decision you make. It's the will you have in your mind that allows God to guide you and direct you, and the will that says, I want to follow God, I don't want to follow Satan. And disobedience, if we fail to do that, is the third step in the process. And we have desire, we have deception, we have disobedience, and what's the way it concludes? You all know what James says here. Sin, dis the, the desire, and the deception, and the disobedience, and the next step is always death. 
Sin brings death. And folks, that sounds like pretty negative, doesn't it? But the good news is it doesn't have to lead to our death because my sin and your sin led to the death of Jesus Christ. And now I no longer have to fear death because if I place my faith in him and trust what he has done, I can never stop sinning completely. I'm working towards that. My wife says I'm not there yet. She actually didn't say that, but she thought it. And I'm, I'm on the way, but I want God to be a blessing. I want to follow him. I want to have, when I come into eternity, a crown that I can cast at his feet and say, I love you, Jesus, and I sought to live for you. Way back in the first instance, that description of sin holds exactly. You see, Eve came, saw saw. I almost said an apple. Uh, we don't know what kind of fruit it was, but let's go with apple for the moment because everybody likes them. And she thought, that, that looks good. It was probably a delicious apple, you know. And she looked up there and, and she said, that looks good. And she saw that it was something to be desired to make one wise. She wanted to be smarter than she was. The problem was when they learned the difference between good and evil, it was because they had become the one and had been the other. So she saw that it was something to be desired. And Satan came and he gave her a story. And, and she decided she wanted what he was offering and she was disobedient to God, to the only command that God had ever given them. Don't eat from that tree. Everything else is yours. Everything else is yours. And God had said, in the day that you partake of that tree, you will die. She ate, she looked around, she's still here. I guess, I guess what God told me wasn't true. But then in the cool of the evening when God came for a chat, God came and he would visit with them personally, morning and evening. And when he came down in the evening, he's looking around, as it were, and said, ah, Adam, where, where, where are you? Adam said, well, we're over here behind a tree because we're naked and we're ashamed. And the disobedience had led to their shame. They understood instantly. They knew they were already dead. Their relationship with God was severed, and they knew it. They didn't have to be told. They went and hid when it was time for God to show up. And many times I have known. <laughs> have you known I'm not going the right way here? I'm not living the way God wants. I'm not doing the thing. I have not resisted the temptation as God wanted me to. 
And so as we come to him, we need to come not simply asking forgiveness, but asking for strength to live the kind of life that will bring us at the end to Jesus saying, here, have this crown of glory. I have it for you because you have sought to live for me while you were on earth. And I will have something if he gives me that crown of glory then to say, Jesus, this is yours. Everything I have is Jesus. Everything I am that is what God wants is from Jesus. It is the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. And you and I need to come to that place where we are sensitive to sin and seeking to live to the glory of God because Jesus paid it all. He paid for all of my sin, which sets me free to seek to serve him and bring honor and glory to his name. Our Father, thank you for the joy of forgiveness of sins. Thank you, Father, for the warning that you have given to us of how sin ends up and what it leads to. And so, Father, I pray that you will guide us and make our lives those lives that would bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ, that we might someday throw our crowns at his feet and say, Lord, this is for you because of all you've done for me. I love you. For I pray in Jesus' name, amen.